Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I pray that as we look at your law that you gave to the children of Israel, you would remind us of the ways you call us to live out, to emulate, to image forth your character, your concerns, your values, Lord, in the world. Would you remind us of that truth and then uh, equip us, Lord, by your spirit to go and live it out in the various places that you have called us to live. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, we're continuing in our study of the book of Exodus, and I'd like to uh, look at what's kind of a very different passage of scripture. God gives Israel a variety of laws which are going to talk about living for him, loving God, and loving your neighbor in everyday life. And the way these would work is they would act like legal uh, case laws. They would set the precedent and the principles for Israel's judges to discern how to approach various situations in community life and society life as they would arise. Now, usually what we like to do is go thoughtfully and carefully through a passage and talk about the themes and talk about what this means uh, in the original context to the original audience and what we can understand from it today, uh, what we can learn from God's word. We do sort of a zoomed in study, um, but instead, instead of the zoomed in study, what I'd like to do is, is just do a summary of chapters 21, 22, 23 and pick out the key principles that apply to our lives. And I guess the big key I would say is this. God cares about how we relate to one another. God cares not just about sort of your private devotional life. He cares about how you seek to live out your life in relationship with others, your public life, your work life, your marriage life, your disagreements with your neighbor. God cares about how we live because as priests, we are meant to honor him and glorify him. Forgot to mute my phone. There we go. So what I'd like to do is zoom in on a few different examples and talk about the implications of behavior for us today. Now, as you probably gathered in the readings, these chapters contain uh, laws on a wide variety of subjects, right? You probably picked some of them up as we were uh, hearing different portions, and I purposely did that. I want us to hear just various portions so we can then zoom, zoom down and kind of pick a few as we do our summary. But we talk about things like employment and the treatment of servants. There's a discussion about the distinction between murder and, and manslaughter. There's the responsibility of caring for your animals and if your animals hurt other people or other animals. There's discussions about theft and restitution. Uh, there's discussions about purity and all that's involved in that whole realm. There's a discussions about personal injury and laws about disability insurance and laws about idolatry and sorcery. There's a, a portion that speaks to uh, caring well for the disadvantaged people in our societies. There's discussion about money and proper lending practices, about justice and equal standing in the law, and, and then keeping festivals and Sabbath and so on. And throughout these laws, we see the character and wisdom of God on display. We see what God cares about, what his values are, as we look at the things that he instructs his people to do and invites his people to now live out together. And one of the big ones is that individual responsibility 
is required. I'm called to make decisions and be responsible for my own actions in life and the consequences of my actions. I'm called to be a responsible citizen in society. God commands his people to kindness and he commands us to compassion in daily life. We realize God is concerned about the poor, the vulnerable, and seeking justice for them. He has a heart for the weak. He wants to see them protected. The the rights of the accused are respected in various situations and crimes are sought to be prevented in various situations. And I like what uh, Pastor David Guzik said as I was preparing for this sermon. He said, now don't get the wrong idea. We can't simply just take these laws and write them into our law books today. And you might say, well, why not? Is this not God's law? Well, the reality is it's not as simple as that. Because these laws presuppose a particular cultural and historic situation. They are relevant for ancient Israel but certain areas of them are not specifically relevant for today because they assume a certain cultural practice. So, for instance, uh, many of these laws assume the, the practice of paying a dowry, where the groom pays the bride's family before he has the right to marry his bride. And in the Western world, that's just something that, that we don't do. And there's no indication that we are to emulate the ancient Near Eastern context as though that's the better context. No, instead... We, we realize that though the dowry paying may not happen, they're the principles behind these case laws that are about caring for various members of society, respecting, being responsible, restitution, these still apply to our lives because they show how us to discern God's will and how to relate well to one another. So some of the specifics may not apply, but we see within it the heart of God that carries on through age to age and of course reflected now in the new covenant in the risen Lord Jesus whom we serve. So I want to look at a couple of the laws and their themes. Worship, uh, slavery, the sanctity of life and restitution. What's the very first topic or subject? It's worship and idolatry. If you turn with me to, to chapter 20 verses 22 and onward are laws about altars. And God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You've seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. And onward and onward it goes. God describing the specificity of worship that pleases him and the dangers of idolatry. The first priority Folks, before we start talking about how do I serve God, how do I live out his will for my life, how do I obey his moral law, the first thing to get straight is our own hearts with God, to get those right, my heart straight with God. And that means confessing my sin, coming into right relationship with God, worshiping him. And from that place, as that vertical relationship is restored, I can now learn to live out the horizontal relationship of living in a society and a family and indeed living with myself. So the call here is, 
is learn to walk with God and then let that start to transform the way you seek to love other people. Love God and love others. And the one comes before the other, or should, we might say. Your life with God is the first priority and getting worship right precedes then how we relate to one another as neighbors. And that's meant to be true in our lives as well. We can seek to be as kind-hearted and good to others as possible, but we'll only get so far uh, in that desire on our own. It's only when we come into living relationship with God, allow him to cleanse us of our sins and begin to worship him, that he orients our hearts towards him. And we then become equipped and alive through the spirit of God to seek the good of others selflessly. At least that's the principle. And that flows right into the second topic. So we talk about worship and now talking about caring for others flows right into this. What's the very next thing God wants to talk about in chapter 21 is compassion upon the slaves of Israel. Look at verse one, chapter 21, verse one. Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. Here's the laws there to live by. Verse two, when you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh, he shall go free for nothing. Now, there's some people who read that and are just immediately shocked and scandalized. Is God inventing and instituting slavery in the ancient world, right? Is, is he celebrating that? And that is just an extremely misinformed position. Slavery existed for centuries before the Bible was written. Uh, it, it exists in cultures where the Bible's never been uh, shown, where it's never been presented. Uh, slavery is not the result of the Bible. Slavery is part of the predatory nature of sinful humanity to enslave the weak and the vulnerable for their own purposes. And again, as Reverend Guzik says, he puts it this way, slavery existed before the Bible and in cultures outside the Bible. The Bible has nothing to do with the establishment of slavery, but it has everything to do with the elimination of slavery. And that, of course, is a fascinating story to read about how Christians championed uh, the abolitionist movement. So slavery here, what are we talking about then? What's, what's the context for ancient Hebrews when we talk about slavery? Well, it's very different than what many of us will maybe automatically think when we hear the word slavery and our minds think to uh, maybe the American slavery situation in the 18th and 19th century, right? Where people would be essentially uh, kidnapped, stolen, transported to a different place and then enslaved for life. And it was a terrible practice. But here... Uh, we're seeing a very different practice reflected in ancient Israel. Instead, what, Bi what the Bible describes here for a Hebrew slave, or could also just as easily be rendered servant, uh, is very different. First of all, it was often voluntary. Voluntary. It was temporary. This was not a lifelong service. And it was highly regulated. It was six years maximum. And on the seventh year, you went free. So if, say, I owed money and I had no money to, uh, to actually pay the, what was due, to pay off the debt that was due to a person, I could then uh, allow myself to be sold into slavery to them for an amount of time to pay off the debt. It's a sense of restitution for what I owe. But it is not forever. It, the person can't just keep, keep me along, keep me enslaved uh, for his own, you know, sort of twisted malicious ways. No, no, there's a, a, a period of time that I'm now working off what I owe and then I go free. It's not for the rest of my life. 
The, the idea of kidnapping or human trafficking or the lifetime of servitude are just not part of this, and thank the Lord. And uh, those things still do exist today, and as Christians, our call is to stand up for justice for those that are weak and vulnerable. So in many cases, say in extreme poverty, you could give yourself into the service of another. I'm so poor, right? But if I, if I sell myself to you, I will work for you and you can provide for my needs. And you can imagine, uh, the, the ways in which this would work. You could employ a destitute person as a slave for a limited set amount of time. And that could actually be seen as a benevolent act, right? Because the, the employer in this case is, or the owner, we would say, is, is guaranteeing food and shelter and security while that period of time lasts. And so much so that you read in the law, sometimes the slaves would say, we want to actually stay with you. We want to, we do want to live with, live with you in this arrangement for longer. We want to stay in this status permanently. That's very different, of course, than what we think of in terms of the American slavery that's existed in North America most recently. And of course, very, very different from what these people experienced in their Egyptian slavery. So imagine growing up in the Egyptian context where you are beaten, where it's horrific, where it's back-breaking, back-breaking grueling work. And, and you know that's part of slavery, just it's part of the, part of the warp and woof of your culture. Um, to turn around and, and have God say, actually, you're going to treat servants very differently. It's a temporary thing. It's a way people can seek restitution to pay off debts. Um, it, you can sell yourself into this if you want, if you are extremely poor. But there is a sense of respect and care for the other person. God's saying, I care about the needs of people. You're not going to be slaves or servants forever. And note too that none of this is racially discriminatory. This is not one people group enslaving another people group. This is about settling debts, voluntarily giving yourself to the work for a limited time with tremendous rights and respect built into the process. You see how that's different. So how does that how does that make us maybe ask some good questions about the people? Say you're an employer and there's people who work under you. What does that say about, uh, you know, they are obviously not slaves or servants in the same sense, but if, if the servants here in ancient Israel have a matter of respect and dignity of human life built into that arrangement, how much more do we need to treat our employees, our co-workers, our families with respect, with care for them? and what, they, uh, what they're doing with what's going on in their lives. And that idea of respect and the value of life carries into the third area I want to talk about, which is the sanctity of human life. And if you look at Exodus 21, 22, and 24, uh, these verses have some phrases that are very, very difficult to interpret. But regardless, I won't get into the interpretive issue, but regardless of which way you take it, the principle applies the same. And the principle is this, that in the Old Testament, uh, we see here uh, personhood, human personhood attributed to the baby developing in the mother's womb. And this highlights God's concern to protect life, including life in the womb uh, that's treated as a human person, which, uh, as we know, is very much an issue alive today. There's this sense of, of uh, this is a human life within the mother. And there is to be restitution if there's harm caused. And that brings me to my fourth example. Look at the, the way restitution for crime is talked about in chapter 22, 
verses uh, 1 to 4 talk about this. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for a sheep. So rather than sending the offender off to jail, the Mosaic's law says, no, you pay him back for what you took. You pay him back with penalty. And this was an appropriate and a humane way to address theft. Uh, our system, perhaps we could say, emphasizes incarceration rather than restitution. Uh, but in this system, if your ox is stolen, you get four more back. It's a dignified way for the person who committed the, the, the theft to repent, but also to to practically set things right. And that principle of restitution applies to our Christian lives as well. I've done wrong to people. You've done wrong to people. Uh, have you injured a reputation by, by speaking something inappropriately? Have you sinned against someone? Um, what would God say to our hearts about this principle of restitution? Sometimes we might think, well, I already feel bad for what I did and that's good enough. Um, and I want to repent and bring that to God. And of course, that's important and you should do that. But what about discerning how to set right what you have maybe uh, set wrong in someone's life? Not just considering your bad feelings to be the restitution, but actually practically seeking to make things right in that relationship or seeking to, to uh, yeah, restore what's been broken or what's been lost. So these four areas of law, uh, worship, slavery, sanctity of life, restitution, they all speak to us about what matters to God, his character, and how Israel was to conduct themselves in daily life. And you can see, you can just see the ways in which the principles apply to us today, respecting others, caring for those under us, the sanctity of human life, which is such a huge issue, right worship, and then right worship, uh, relationship with God, then flowing out in how we treat each other, restitution for when things do go wrong. But here's the key for us. We need to know what pleases God. We need to know his moral law. But we also need to remember, Israel was called to live out this law in relationship with God. And chapter 24 moves from law to the invitation to dwell and to eat in God's presence. Folks, we can be all about laws. We can be all about behavior. We can be all about this person does this thing right. This person doesn't do this thing right. But we can't forget to live and abide in the presence of God, to be in relationship with Jesus. God in, in chapter 24 verse 1 says, come up to the Lord. He says this to Moses, you and Aaron. And then in verse 9, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel and they're not harmed. And then verse 11, they beheld God and ate and drank. They eat and drink with God. That's the key for us to remember. God does not just lead these people out of, out of Egypt into the wilderness simply to give them this moral law so they can have some sort of performance and God's sitting there with a check sort of scoring them to see whether they're good enough for him. No, no, no. God invites them to enter into a loving and living relationship with him, a marriage with him and to be present with them as they learn to live out the calling to be uh, who, the, who God has called them to be. God's heart is to dwell 
with us and for us to live out his character and his moral law, not as a performance issue, but in loving gratitude for all that God has done for us. And so the law, and I encourage you to read through and read the passages and some will maybe bother you and strike you a difficult way. And that's worth pressing into when that happens. When you read the Bible and something is difficult, you press into it. Don't ignore it. Press in and read and discern. What's that all about? But the law reminds us we're called to glorify God in our everyday lives, uh, in how we honor him and how we treat each other. And we can do that now as Christians because of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So regarding work and service, we can walk with peace and patience and integrity with those around us. Regarding the sanctity of human life, we can treat people with love and hope uh, and dignity. Regarding restitution, we can seek to make things right. Regarding our possessions, we're called to be like Jesus uh, and be generous the way he has been generous to us. Regarding holiness, we're called not to lust after each other, not to be controlled by the desires of the flesh, but to be practicing self control just because of a desire to do something doesn't mean I should act on it right I'm I'm the master of my own desires or at least I'm supposed to be right and I can invite God to help me uh, practice self-control to not give in to every whim or fancy that comes into my mind but to actually live a disciplined righteous and godly life to the glory of his holy name Regarding justice, we're called to care for the weak and the vulnerable, the orphan, the widow, the poor, the stranger. And regarding worship, we remember God's grace. We listen to his word. We enjoy fellowship with him and with one another. And of course, quite often, we do indeed eat and drink and dwell in his presence. We do these things. Not because we're some sort of holier-than-thou social club, a performance attitude. No, no. We do this because we know Jesus Christ has transformed our lives. He's forgiven me. He's cleansed me. He's washed me clean. And now I want to live out his life within me as he is now dwelling and made his home in me. That transforms the way I want to live out my life uh, and, and interact with those around me. So folks, I just pray this morning that you would be encouraged not only to consider how you can love God and love your neighbor in everyday life, but to remember God has come and called you to dwell with him. He invites you into a new relationship, into forgiveness, into freedom. He calls us into that today. And for all of us, as we repent of our sin and receive his grace, uh, coming to faith, saying, Jesus, you died on the cross for my sin, and I receive that gift today. I repent of my sins. I come to you, God. Wash me clean. I want to follow you. I repent and believe there is new salvation life. I am now freed from sin, and even when I die, I will be in eternity with Jesus. I will be alive in him. And so rather than seeing the Christian life as a series of just a moral checklist of things to do, remember this is God inviting you into relationship with him. He wants to call you up that mountain so you can dwell with him, to eat and drink with him in living, uh, in a living 
relationship. Think of Jesus says we abide in him and he abides in us, this sense of growing together. And then out of that place, we then walk out these laws, these calling, uh, these callings to walk in, in dignity, uh, to walk with respect, to care for those, and all those principles that we find here in the case law. So may God grant us his strength through the spirit to love him more deeply and to love our neighbors more compassionately to live in this truth as we seek to follow him. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for my church family. I thank you for those that will be coming and gathering in person here in our two services on Sunday morning. And I thank you, Lord, for all those that are at home right now, some with little ones, some maybe feeling isolated. God, would you bind us together, Lord? Um, this, this is a family that's still scattered in many ways. And some of us have been able to gather together again. But God, we're still navigating the realities of, of, of our world with COVID-19. God, in the midst of that, it's easy to be overwhelmed with the news we hear and the issues in our world and all the noise, noise, noise. But Jesus, I pray this morning that we would hear your whisper, your invitation to come into forgiveness, to come into abiding relationship with you. So we can then learn, Lord, how to live our lives well, to live a holy life that cares about people, that seeks to be uh, to walk out restitution, that seeks to love others, that seeks to show respect and dignity, Lord. These things that are so close to your heart. We are called as, as your priests, the priesthood of all believers, to live out and image forth your character, God. How can we know your character and live it out if we don't spend the time getting to know you? So God, may we grow in deeper and deeper relationship with you, grow us closer and closer to each other, even as we are spread apart and in different places right now. And Lord, in this moment, I just want to pray for all of our families and all of the, the realities and decisions and questions around returning to school for our kids. And I just pray, Lord, your, your hand of protection, of peace, of grace, of patience upon every household in this city, especially our church family. But Lord, as even those who don't know you and in this moment are looking for answers, God, would you come? and speak your peace and your grace and your life. Make yourself real to them, Lord. And give wisdom, we pray, to all the teachers and school boards that are discerning how to navigate this thing, our politicians and our various provincial leaders. Lord, would you have your way in the midst of this. Call us deeper to yourself. Use this moment, Lord, to wake us up as churches, to be the light and the salt that you have called us to be in the culture around us. Lord, we can complain about this. We can talk about how it's all from the enemy. But God, we can also use this opportunity, this divine moment, to speak the truth and the grace of your gospel and to live it out in such a time as this. Lord, would you equip us as your church with the power of your Holy Spirit to live out your gospel and to bring others uh, into the knowledge of salvation. Lord, draw us deeper to you. We pray for spiritual renewal, Lord, in our city. We thank you for the work you've done in our lives. Lord, help us to live out with gratitude, uh, to live as your people. Lord, thank you for each one that's taken the time to listen and, and be part of this service today. Bless them. Bless them, we pray. Be with each one in your name. Amen.
Friends, before you go, receive this benediction. Children of God, who are loved and forgiven in our Lord Jesus Christ, may you know the abiding presence of Jesus and spend time with him. And may, as you grow in him, learn how to live out the care, the compassion, the respect, and the dignity of God in your everyday life. May you love God and love your neighbor. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. I do love you. Go in peace. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.